friends. As we continue to work through this book of Genesis, going back to the beginning, seeing our family history of how God makes and keeps his promises, the God of all faithfulness, to his people for his purposes. And uh, as we can clearly see from that chapter, it's not a perfect history. It's not a history of perfect people. That's for sure. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for these moments now together around your word and ask that by your spirit you'd help us to understand it rightly and to leave here changed, that we might be people who live lives for your glory and for our joy. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, wisdom says pretty loud and clear, don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Uh, will we eat 24 pack of Mars bar ice creams? Well, yeah, we will. Wait, do we need a 24 pack of... Yeah, I think we do. They're on special. Well, I'm not an idiot. I'll take 48. We can save a few for tomorrow. Wisdom also says loud and clear, don't type angry. When you've taken the clickbait and you've already been annoyed and you're starting an online discussion with your obvious and reasonable all-caps thesis, you're probably not going to change hearts and minds. And actually, you won't feel hurt and you won't feel relieved. The problem is that our culture wants to tell us again and again and again that how you're feeling is the truest part of who you are and that how you feel needs to be expressed and affirmed and fueled by you and everyone else at every moment of every day. But the impulse buys and the clickbait reactions tell us that our passions can actually get in the way rather than help us. Sometimes they take us places we know we shouldn't go and we often don't want to go. When they're given the keys, the wheel and the driver's seat to our lives, we can find ourselves with all kinds of dysfunction and disappointment and damage because we're sinful people. The heart is deceitful above all else, the Bible says. And when we follow the desires of our heart, as our culture tells us to do, we can find ourselves in all kinds of trouble. One writer has used the analogy of an elephant and a rider, uh, that our emotional self is the elephant, powerful, big, a really important part of who we are. But we need a rider. We need reason and wisdom and a rational thinker who can steer our emotions and our passions to stay on the right course, to not get stuck, to last the distance and to not get lost and to not crush anyone along the way, right? And for Christians, what we want is our emotional and our physical life, both given by God for us to enjoy him and each other. We want that to be driven by his wisdom, 
grounded in his word, directed for his purposes, transformed by his spirit. Uh, And the reason is because that his glory and our joy are actually two sides of the same coin. Our Presbyterian friends have been saying that for 400 years, having borrowed most of their theology from us Anglicans. (laughs) We love our Presbyterian friends. Right? That the chief end of people is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Isn't it an amazing thing that glorifying God and our joy go hand in hand? So that what gives him glory is going to be good for us. What gives him glory will, will enrapture our hearts. What a wonderful thing for that to be the case. Genesis 27 shows us something quite clear of what happens when our physical senses and our emotional desires are given the keys and the driving wheel and seat of our lives. We see what ensues when these things are untethered from God's promises and directed by sinful nature instead of God's word and his spirit. So this is what we want to see as this sorry, sorry episode unfolds in front of us. Uh, This is what we want to see, thanks Jason, is that grasping at God's blessing through failing eyes and favourite tastes and scheming ears and deceptive touch and smell and a blasphemous tongue leads to a short-sighted blessing, grief upon grief, murderous intent, a lost son and nobody being satisfied. It's not a four-hour sermon, just so you know. I think we're going to move fairly quickly. Let's go back to grasping at God's blessing through failing eyes. Pick it up with me at verse 1 again and see what gives rise to this whole episode is the failing eyesight of ageing Isaac. Verse 1, when Isaac was old, his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And the Bible readers in the room who were here a few weeks ago from chapter 5 know that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. It seems that that favouritism and division of those two parents and those twin boys, that division within that family had only grown bigger as the decades went on. It's the failing eyes that give rise to the whole episode. But it's driven by Isaac's favourite tastes. Isaac's favourite tastes were driving him. It's his favourite son that he calls in to make his favourite meal. It's interesting to ponder, I think, how much Isaac's stomach was governing things and actually how much his stomach influenced the strength of his love for his son, Esau, even knowing that God had said the older would serve the younger and that Jacob, not Esau, would be the recipient of God's promises and he would form the line through which God's family and the nation of Israel and the Messiah Jesus would come. The tastes of Isaac, well, they weren't only misdirected, They're also unreliable. It's interesting, later on, Isaac confuses goat and deer. 
points to the weakness even of what's driving him. He's giving his stomach the driver's seat, but his stomach's unreliable as well as misdirected. Old Testament scholar Gordon Wenham points out that usually all the children would have been gathered to the father for the final blessing to be spoken over them and that there is something in the speaking of blessing that gives it its weight which leads to the grief that comes later on. Isaac very deliberately calls only his son Esau for the final blessing. This is a very divided family. So Esau goes to hunt and it's left to Rebecca and her scheming ears. She's not part of the conversation. I wonder when the last time her and Isaac had an actual conversation. But she's listening in. She thinks she can make a tasty meal, having no doubt taught Esau a lot of his skills. But rather than a game, she cooks goat, prepared just as Isaac likes it. And with his eyesight failing, Jacob can put himself in front of the blessing. To throw himself in front of his father's blessing, as it were, to grasp for what his father might hand down of God's promises and his purposes. What Rebecca should have done, having heard Isaac's plan, is simply entrusted the whole thing to the Lord her God knowing God had said that Jacob would be the recipient of the promises and the line through which Israel and the Messiah Jesus would come. Allow God to work out his purposes, allow him to keep his promises in his good timing. But instead she schemes and she grasps, she grasps at God's sovereignty, at his control, at his place, which is always the heart of sin, isn't it? To grasp at God's place, to seek to overturn God's sovereignty and to let him dictate terms. We think we know better. Or, like Rebecca, wondering if his timing is a bit off. Maybe he hasn't noticed. Jacob doesn't think it's a very good idea. He should have gone with that initial thought. He questions his mother. Mum, have you seen Esau's hairy back? Have you seen my smooth skin? Have you heard his voice? Have you smelt his clothes? (laughs) I know Dad can't see, but this seems like a stretch and it could go very badly, very easily. What does Rebecca say? Just do what I say. Grasping once again at God's position, using the words that God gives his people to obey his commands, to hear his word. Rebecca has left God out of the picture altogether. Her word is in charge, not God's. From the scheming ears, it goes to deceptive touch and smell. They scheme together, they deceive Isaac to steal the blessing. Now God had promised Jacob would carry the promises, as we've already said. But as the timing and the justice and the logistics of God's plan seem a little bit too distant, a little bit hard to understand, 
They do what is all too easy for us to do, isn't it? Try to wrest control out of God's hands and achieve his results for him. And no doubt their internal monologue sounds something like yours and mine when we seek to justify our own sinful behaviour. No, no doubt their internal monologue was like yours and mine when we seek to justify our ungodly desires. Well, I'm directing them towards the right thing, the right goal. I'm trying to help God achieve his plans anyway, so maybe it's not that bad. Their lies and their deceit probably feel easier because they're seeking the end goal of God's plan anyway. And anyway, it's Isaac's fault because he played favourites and it's Esau's fault. He sold me the birthright. So really, this is what needs to be done. Pick it up with me at verse 14. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother the goats, that that is, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands in the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Just how hairy was this guy? (laughs) Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, my father... Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? It's the first clue. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognise him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He double checks, triple checks. I am, he replied. Esau's clothes, smelling of his expeditions and hard work, no doubt made from the skins and the fur of his hunting of success and the goatskin hands, they all lend themselves to the deceit and the lie. And then it gets explicit, doesn't it? The lie just falls out of Jacob's mouth. Are you really my son Esau? I am. It's a lie. And then it gets a whole lot worse. Because it's not just the lie that comes out of his mouth, but he takes God's name in vain. He blasphemes God and seeks to drag God into this whole sordid tale. Demonstrating that he definitely knows better, Jacob takes God's name in vain. The Lord your God gave me success. Imagine bringing God's personal, promise-making, promise-keeping name into the mess of his own deceit and lies. Bringing it into his dirty scheme. The heart is deceitful above all else. 
Well, all of this leads to a very short-sighted blessing. Have a look at verse 27. So he went to him and kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son. It's like the smell of a field. The Lord is blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's riches, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. Now, if we've been reading along the book of Genesis, we'll be able to pick in some of these blessing the promises and purposes of God that are following through this family's line. But you can also see that this blessing is very kind of lopsided. There's lots of first-person pronouns. He's keeping the blessing close to home. He's not so much concerned about all people being blessed through you and the world knowing the glory of God and being filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, as the... Yes, the waters cover the sea, right? But he's very much focused on Isaac's desire for Esau to be Lord and to be served and to be prosperous. The blessing that's spoken by God is a promise of his divine care and favour and provision. The blessing spoken by Isaac is a wish for his son for his prosperity and that it would go to all nations is not so much his concern. Writer John Walton says, not only has Isaac lost his five senses, but his common sense and reason have gone as well. Esau was careless with his birthright. Isaac is senseless with his blessings. But the inevitable happens, as it was always going to. The reveal, the reveal comes, and it's too late for Esau. He comes to his father and seeks the blessing in tears, knowing that he's too late, and that the birthright he sold to his brother in 20, chapter 25 has led to the blessing being stolen here in chapter 27. And when he says to his father, have you got a blessing left for me? Isaac answered him with something that sounds like it's going to be a blessing and it turns out to be a curse. Your future, Esau, he says, will be away from God's provision It will be away from God's people. You will live by the sword. You will be restless and untethered from God's family and from God's place. The short-sighted blessing leads to grief upon grief. The text says that in verse 33 that Isaac trembled violently when Esau came with the game and we leave him in this scene weeping bitterly. Isaac trembled violently when his desires were deceived and where his senses and his blessing were misdirected. 
But as one writer has said, he should have been trembling long before that. He should have been trembling before God's word and entrusting himself to God's purposes. Grief upon grief leads to the murderous intent of Esau, which we'll see a little bit more of next week. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 12 tells us that Esau came and sought the blessing in tears, not so much out of godly repentance, but out of frustrated selfishness. He has shown himself to be unwilling to hold on to his birthright and unworthy of God's covenant. But has anyone in this scene shown themselves to be worthy of God's covenant? Once again, we say no. That we see God's purposes and his promises given to this family is not because of their own inherent righteousness but simply because of his grace to show that he is the God who brings beauty from ashes. He brings order from chaos. And he can even bring about his plans and purposes through this dysfunctional and damaged family. Rebecca, thinking that she was clever, seeking to usurp God and place herself and her word in charge of the whole situation, seeking to provide for the future of her son Jacob, finishes this chapter needing to send Jacob away, probably thinking, go for a few weeks, let the whole thing quieten down, and then we'll move forward. She'll never see Jacob again. Nobody is satisfied. The place of God's blessing is seated squarely under his promises and his purposes, not grasping at them, thinking that we know better, or seeking to follow the desires of our hearts. The heart is deceitful above all else. We need God's word and his spirit to change our desires, to direct our minds and our hearts and our wills for his purposes. And here's the thing. We don't need to seek the satisfaction of every desire and follow the pull of every feeling. We don't need to grasp or deceive or seek to usurp God for the sake of his blessing because he gives it to us for free. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When your senses and your feelings and the desires of your heart say that you are missing out on some kind of favour from God or from this world, that there's some other blessing that you need to grasp at or deceive for or chase after, 
The Bible reminds us that it's praise God from whom all blessings flow and every spiritual blessing has been given you in Christ Jesus. Don't grasp at them, but open your empty hands of faith and receive them. We are grace-receiving sinners who are undeserving of the blessing of life that God so graciously gives as he brings about his plans and purposes to unite everyone under the kingship of Jesus. Jesus came to take the curse that we might share in his blessing and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so in order that we might live lives that glorify God and enjoy him forever, for his glory and our joy, we follow in Jesus' footsteps and we entrust ourselves for his blessing into his gracious hands. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much that every blessing flows from you so that we don't need to invent or create or chase after our own blessings but can receive from you every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus our Lord who took our curse that we might have his blessing. Help us to be honest with you today, even as we come to your table to share in the Lord's Supper together, that we might know that the greatest thing we can do for our joy and your glory is to receive Christ Jesus as Lord. We ask you to do this for us, for his sake. Amen. Let's stand as we sing together.